0: India Charts, the truth about the markets. India Charts publishes Nifty Daily, daily video updates, the weekly Elliott weight outlook and the long shot report covering all asset classes. The beauty of markets and market observations is how slowly they all add up and increase the probability of the outcome. This is how we really take market opinions. This is how we spotted the bounce from 15,200 to 17,300. And then we look for a sell-off which occurred later from 18.100 all the way down to 167. The surprise really is the extreme sentiment that ended up happening at 16.700 itself. Very similar to what we had already seen at 15.200 at a much higher level. And the reason for that would simply be that global equities and specifically the US where the problems are emanating from actually made a lower low resulting in that extreme negative sentiment that things were really getting bad. But somehow our market has not really responded in the same way and the setup is the same, and oversold condition. We were looking for a bounce, we have started getting it and so now we have more pleasure in that view. The hard part was over which is judging that it is going to happen and then sticking your guns that it's going to play out. So that's uh, how we really do it. We do it over and over again because it's a multi-factor process which includes not just a single factor not just a moving average not just a momentum indicator but a combination of Elliot wave analysis which is the behavioral part of the study looking at momentum the trade setup and then looking at sentiment and adding it all together so that's at least what the technical part of the story is I can get into macro I can look into the you know various other factors but this is broadly what it takes to do cycle-based trading whether we call that positional trading, I call it a cycle, a momentum cycle, where you're trying to ride a trend as far as it lasts and then taking a turn from there. The only place where judgments go wrong is actually not the trend itself, but the judgment that whether you're in a trending bull market or whether you're in an up-down market like the one we have seen post-October. Now having said all of that, in the global narrative, while we're you know having this nice bounce back, I believe it will last a little longer. You will see a little higher levels. Probably this is a rally into the Diwali period. So this should we can call this the Diwali rally for October. And it's the earnings season. And so earnings numbers are coming out better than expected or sort of close to expected. And so it suddenly doesn't look so bad even because markets have already fallen a lot. And numbers are still where they were. And so have you overreacted? And so that's I think the thought process that will drive the bounce from what is a shorted oversold market. But coming back to narratives... What is the big difference? There's actually been an article also, Russell Napier's article floating around. A couple of people asked me on Twitter, what does this mean? What does this mean? If you go back and read our long shot report over a year back, you would know that we were really talking about MMT becoming mainstream, which is, uh, they thought of a theory. They thought that, okay, if government spend, you get some inflation, interest rates are kept, real interest rates are kept negative. We can actually bring down the debt to GDP ratio. Sounded good. The pandemic provided the opportunity to actually start implementing that because governments got convinced we can spend, they spent, the central bank supported it and we ended up with a phase of growth with low interest rates. For some time inflation was not as high as it is right now and so that all looked like that theory was in play. I wrote the reflation trade anticipating that and then I wrote many reports saying that this is what will go on and therefore markets will not come down. What really changed in the narrative, so if you actually go back and read what Russell Lapier said, it's sort of a follow-up to what had already written, Ray Dalio had already written about a couple of years back. And it's uh, it's all a mirror of what has happened in the 1940s in the post-World War II era, where government stepped in and spent uh, on growing the infrastructure after World War II, the reparation expenses, if they call it, different names for it. But essentially, government spending coming in, interest rates remaining low, higher levels of inflation. But it became acceptable that inflation would be high because there was wage growth and there was economic growth. So I think the missing part really here is uh, getting the public at large in tune with and in line with this thought process. So it looked like this is what they would do. The Fed held back on saying inflation is transitory as long as it could. But inflation shot far beyond its uh, you know mandate which is like 2%. Now if I really I'm mimicking the post World War II environment, I would be looking at a higher rate of inflation. So, to some extent, we thought the Fed will eventually cave in and say, okay, 2% is not the new normal. We'll probably move to 4 or 6 or something. Not 6, but maybe at least 4. But that's what they have not done. You know, once the data went out of sync, uh, they've said, we want to bring inflation back to 2%. And that's the narrative they're really sticking to. And because that's the narrative they're sticking to, is where the problems really start. So, one is, the narrative that they'll pivot back they'll or they'll accept that yeah we can live with a higher rate of inflation and then things all go back to normal right the reflation trade is still there growth is happening because of the excessive spending and governments could probably continue down that path as and when required Uh, we can deal with a four five six percent inflation rate by keeping interest rates higher than where they were earlier and real interest rates still negative negative such that it brings down the debt to GDP ratio, sort of a formula you would not mind following if the public at Raj is not upset about the higher rate of inflation that they are living with and they wouldn't be upset if there is wage growth, wage growth has already started to happen in the face of higher inflation, uh, ju- not just because of the inflation but also because there have been some sort of labour shortages as well uh, developing in the post pandemic world. So. All of this put together does create an environment for the policy that they were trying to implement to actually be there. So why aren't we there? It's because the Fed has decided that, no, we are going going to target 2% inflation. And what that really means, if they are not comfortable 4 to 6, uh, at 2% inflation, it means they have to significantly slow down the U.S. economy. Earnings growth will further go down from where they are right now. I mean, for this quarter also, they might still be flattish to minus 4-5% maybe. But uh, who knows? They can be down 10, 20 percent in a year's time if we stick to current and higher interest rates because it's already slowing down things like housing and would continue to impact other things, which are where uh, you know borrowing is the essence of you know all the consumer spending. And if that borrowing rates go up, you're not going to borrow and spend that much. And if costs of everything are going up, eventually slows down the economy and growth uh, results in job losses. The overheated uh, job market cools off. So that means markets, uh, at least US markets are much lower than where they are from here and right now. So this is the interim problem that we are really fighting with is the current Fed stance that they are looking for 2% inflation versus what we thought is they would become comfortable with a higher rate of inflation and let it run based on the MMT theory. And that's sort of what Russell Napier is saying now that they will go back to a 4 to 6% inflation. And that's basically the pivot theory, right? Everybody is thinking they'll pivot, they'll slow down on hiking rates as fast as they have been doing and the markets will rebound. But till they really announce it, are we there yet? And that I think is central to how we really deal with markets where they are today. Uh, Because after all, we need to put in trades uh, and setups and investments where we are today and not based on what they are likely to do, may do, may not do. We really need to know what they're going to do. Uh, Sometimes we can make that judgment, but right now it's difficult because if the only example of a Fed pivot is 2018 uh, at a time when there was no high inflation rate, it's not a comparable example. So just because they did that then to say that they will do it now might not fit because right now you have a much higher rate of inflation which they are having to target. So that's I think the main differentiator. And so those are the two narratives that are driving the fight in terms of how markets should behave going forward from here. And so far the risk continues to remain on the table, which is why I continue to call it a bear market and every rally a bear market rally. That doesn't mean that there won't be bullish opportunities. Some sectors and stocks have actually done very well over a six, eight, nine month period in India. This has become the longest intermarket divergence between India and the US uh, over uh, you know over almost nine months. India hasn't seen it. Uh, 2008 is the last example where it was uh, you know what three four months october to january and prior to that i think in y2k and prior i've seen one or two or two month kind of divergence one month i think one month kind of divergences so not three months but nine months almost is an outlier as far as this observation is concerned so will we really eventually join in with what the rest of the world is doing if the rest of the world continues to do what we are saying or what we are anticipating, that is stick with the, what the Fed is saying, anticipate that they will do what they are saying. And if they do it, then I don't think we can remain the outlier because it means the rupee will be much weaker than it already is. There's a limit to how much the RBI is going to intervene. And bond yields in India really go up. And that is that is where my stance comes in, that if yields go up, even if everything else remains equal, earnings, grow, earnings remain where they are in India, Because we are in a better situation, our macros are better, debt levels have come down at the government level, they have come down at the corporate level, balance sheets are cleaner. Not accounting for the other macro problems, which is trade deficit and all which have impact the currency and other parts of the market. But if everything remains equal, India is still at a much higher valuation level if we mean that interest rates are one of the drivers of valuations. Because if interest rates go up, if say fixed uh, deposit rates go up in in the banking sector because there will be a fight for capital, uh, as the government continues to borrow to spend then the higher rates really mean that if you if you need to borrow at a higher rate uh, what valuation are you going to really give the companies that you're investing in so suddenly when there's a uh, you know when you start competing for capital and us is very efficient because moment rates started to go up the us market initially sold off between jan and march of last year apart from russia for actually a valuation correction in the tech space so it was all about, you know, correcting valuations that had gone too far because rates are going up. Uh, the earnings degrowth story is uh, only something which is, you know, building up now into the future. And India really not even gone through the valuation correction. So we are simply looking at, you know, where is the growth? Okay, IT had the growth. It got uh, overvalued, but IT has fallen with the world market. But the other segments that are doing well, we are still, still seeing growth in banking and autos and so on. Even though some of the sectors may arguably look uh, you know fairly or highly valued in terms of where they are priced here a lot of stocks you can simply open up if you look at the p ratios you'll find oh it's 70 times is that normal or is that not normal i mean there are some sectors that have historically had that valuation even in the 90s and tough phases and that's typically fmcgs and mnc companies in india where the historical p band has been 30 to 70 times simply because of the high ownership of those companies among hnis and uh, institutional investors, so there's very little floating stock. But can that theory really apply to each and every stock in the market? I mean, suddenly, if you have you know uh, you know half a dozen companies in the index, or more than that, maybe more than half the companies in the index trading at uh, you know P ratios that are thirty, forty plus. Then you really start thinking about whether those valuations are normal. Of course, the average P for the index has come down to what's at the bottom end, it was nearly 16, 17 times. I have not seen the latest number, it may be 20, 20 something times, uh, which to some may appear okay, fairly to slightly higher valued. But when you look at each individual name separately, then it's very, very different. And so, should you really chase value or growth? And what valuation should you pay uh, for growth? And that's really in a formula base. It's really a function of interest rates, and if rates go higher, say if your bond deal today is 7.4 percent, what if it becomes 8.5 percent? What would be the impact on valuations that you'd really pay for these companies? I think that's the main thing to really think about in the whole, uh, you know, mandate around what uh, is price, and uh, when you really think about the global macro impact on you know the currency and bond markets, typically they have a negative impact on equities, but they haven't had on the Indian market yet. Uh, We've continued to hold on to the higher valuation, saying that well, India is in a better place uh, in many ways, and because we are growing uh, more than many other parts of the world, we continue to pay a higher price for this market. Makes sense, but uh, if things continue to get worse and liquidity continues to tighten, can we still do that? So, I think uh, that's a risk. Uh, We can always be proven wrong, but if there is a risk on the table. Uh, would I completely ignore that risk and and I think that's what I'm not able to do right now which is why I'm not able to pivot to an outright bullish view because things don't add up the weekly and monthly momentum indicators on my uh, RMI indicator are still in sell mode so though so the larger degree time frames are not really agreeing with the shorter t- uh, shorter time frame where we can go bullish to bearish to bullish to bearish and so we are easier trading the shorter term cycles, which is what I've been doing since I think April of this year. All the way down, then all the way up, and then down and up in the last month as well. And we are right now on the bullish side of the short term trade. Uh, but the longer term setups are still not changed uh, with 100% certainty. And that will remain the main issue that we will continue to f- fight with. Now if we really study sentiment, that's another very interesting uh, data point, And I'm going to be writing a piece on it. And uh, I read a Bloomberg article, which I couldn't, you know, find again. I, I think I should have saved that chart. I found a lot of other data, sentiment data, but that particular one was actually showing that in the last few weeks, retail investors shorted at the you know, markets, uh, you know, sh- uh, shorting activity was at the highest in probably months. And so uh, that really put you in a specific place where if, if retail traders are really shorting that much, is it getting to an oversold condition which fits with our Elliott Wave structure that we might have completed a five-wave decline and can do some retracement. And uh, if that is the sentiment uh, that we are really thinking about, then there was a simultaneously overlay on that chart was cash levels with investors. And while cash levels have been rising, they are still not reached the high panic levels of periods like 2009 or 2020. Then does that mean that we have finally hit the, you know, long-term bottom for the markets and so these are completely two different data points one is short-term sentiment and one is long-term sentiment the short-term sentiment indicating a short-term trading low in the markets and the long-term sentiment saying well the long-term bottom if capitulation is an important requirement of bear markets has not really happened otherwise cash levels have gone up and so uh, these are two counter uh, you know arguments that we can have both of them saying sort of the same thing but one has short term implications one has more longer term implications and within a longer term you can always have short term trading rallies which is what the short term sentiment has been indicating on so many fronts uh, both in india and the us india also we've seen positioning uh, you know get that way very uh, similar to what we've seen at previous lows of uh, you know many times in the last year and even all the way back to the pandemic and so these kind of readings tell us again that well you could pop up a bit you cannot always say a bit or more, I mean at 15.2 we could think of it going all the way to 17,000 plus and it ended up at 18,100. If I have a similar short squeeze developing here, are we going to go back to all time highs? So I wouldn't think so, I have seen positions get cut very quickly also sometimes like it happened between May and into the end of May. Uh, the uh, short position had actually squeezed out whatever was there. And then we started to fall again in June. So that is also a possibility. So what we'll really want to do is see how this positioning changes over the next couple of days uh, into expiry of this year. Will something change uh, once we expire and next week because it's Diwali, uh, we are going to have very few trading days. I think not more than one or two trading days next week. There are two holidays in between and then you have expiry day. So very quickly uh, we'll be into the month end I think by next weekend if I'm not wrong by Monday. Uh, 31st of october we will be closing for the month and so uh, once we get there uh, we will actually want to see how the positioning is going into november and that will sort of tell us you know where we really are uh, going forward and then uh, one more thing i should add is that while there's a lot of data for us cftc futures data goes back at least one or two bull and bear markets are already in place to be able to study how the data changed during previous bull and bear markets but as far as india is concerned we started to report the participant wide data only from 2012 from nse and therefore we do not even have one bear market in place to really say this is how the data should behave in a bear market so right now we're simply going by what we have after 2012 and that results in us taking a view on those readings at some point of time in deeper into this bear market it's very much possible that the data behaves in a slightly different way and we would therefore have to take a view based on that. Now we aren't there yet and so uh, we have time to really think about these things but it's something to note uh, because I can be wrong on the data in in the near term thinking that this is how it should behave because that's what it did the last four times but well now this is a bear market and we might actually see a different behavioral outcome as far as this data is concerned. So let's see if that changes. So far it has worked this way. I've used the same uh, logic uh, at the recent low as well, and that has worked as well. So right now, the data is still behaving in the same way as it has done, I think, the last several times. And therefore, I'm going to stick to that kind of data analysis and not really think about something having changed. But uh, it's not about something having changed. It's just about not being in a bear market before, uh, a serious one, uh, to really see how the data would have behaved in that situation. So that's one more thing to just keep in mind mind when we are doing data analysis. So having said that this is where we are in the market right now bouncing back from an extreme negativity in the uh, sentiment uh, looking at a retracement at least minimum but because it's a short squeeze it can overshoot so keeping the upside open till we actually get a proper reversal. Uh, Global markets have also started to join in so they too will attempt a good retracement of the selling that we've seen over the last two months and that will provide further respite and after that we'll probably start thinking about what happens going forward a lot is going to depend on the two fed narratives that i've already discussed the one that we will see playing out will determine how markets behave going forward from here within the next three to six months so that's all from me on this update very very happy diwali to all of you a happy new year and see you uh, next week again thank you Nothing in this podcast is investment advice. Views on financial markets are in good faith to expand your understanding of how markets work. Please consult a registered financial advisor for the same. And yes, please share this podcast with everyone you think can benefit from this knowledge.